thank you for listening to this message brought to you by Living Word Church. We trust that as you hear the Word of God preached, you'll be encouraged and equipped to love God and do His will. If you're looking for a church home, please feel free to visit our Sunday morning worship service at 10 a.m. or visit our website at www.livingwordchurch.cc. And now for our message. Beautiful. Good morning, everyone. Hey, it's good to be here this morning. As some of you may be aware, last week, uh, my wife and I were in England. We were, uh, going to bother us. We were visiting uh, the Lifelink churches in England. So there's a group of like 20 churches that are part of kind of our own network of family of churches. So <clears throat> the first week we were there, and I had, we had a great time. I got to participate in a leaders conference and got to preach at the church and meet with different people and leaders and all that kind of stuff. It was fantastic. It was really, really great. So I bring you greetings from the Lifelink Church in Rugby, England. You are correct. That is where they first picked up the ball and ran with it. And then they're like, hey, he can't do that. And then they went and they just tackled him. But before they got tackled him, he flipped it to someone else. And he took it and he ran. And so they tackled him. And then I don't know how the rest of it got figured out. But that's Rugby, England. And then the second half, um, we spent with my father-in-law, Sam's dad. I think we have a fit picture of him. Um, there he is. So say hi to Norman, everybody. You don't always, yeah, there you go. You don't always get to know and see him because he lives in the northeast of England, but that's Sam and her dad storming the castle, uh, Warwick Castle. And so we got to spend a week with, uh, with him as a family being together, which was amazing. And so... Um, that was our week, but it's good to be home. It's good to be back here. It's good to be with you guys. Um, keep in mind that um, Ashley Moorcraft, our very own Ashley Moorcraft, is actually in Cambridge, England for the next, I think, month or five weeks or six weeks or week and a half? <laughs> Where has the summer gone? All right, well, um, she is doing an internship at our Lifelink Church in Cambridge, England. She's helping with the youth and stuff like that, so... Um, I was going to say pray for her. You still can do that, but be ready to welcome her back in a week and a half. Um, it'll be good to have her. All right, let's take a minute and just um, read the scriptures that we're going to read today. Um, I'm super excited about this, and then after I read it, we're going to pray and ask for God's help for us to understand it and believe it and live it. All right, so First Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 22 is where we're at in our kind of mini-series on uh, God's faithfulness. And so here in 16 it says this, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Don't treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil. Verse 23, and may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, your soul, and your body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. For the one who calls you is faithful. And say it with me, he will do it. Amen. Let's pray and we'll, we'll hear from this. Father God, we thank you for these words in scripture. We thank you that they remind us that you don't delegate the work in our lives or the relationship with us to someone else, some lesser angel or 
I don't know, some other thing. But God, you yourself personally engage with us. That we can have a real personal and tangible relationship with you. That you yourself put your hands on us to sanctify us through and through. God, we are so grateful. I pray that you do that this morning. Lord, thank you that you're the God of peace. You don't come to bring turmoil and chaos and pain and heartache into our life. But Lord, you come to bring peace, even in the midst of turmoil and chaos in our life. Lord, we want to be like you in this as well. We know that you're the God of peace. We want to be people of peace. God, we thank you that you do sanctify us, that you work in us through and through, and you leave no part of us untouched. I know that's a bit threatening, God. It's threatening to me. It's threatening to people here that, Lord, you are relentlessly in love with us and passionate about every part of us. And it's your will that every part of us be dealt with in the gospel, that we become like you, and so that you leave no part of us untouched. Lord, I pray that even today that walls would come down, kind of do not disturb signs would be taken off the doorknobs of the different rooms of our life. And we would welcome you in and say, come, Lord, sanctify us through and through, even this part of my life. Lord, thank you that you're, you, you care about our bodies, our spirits, our soul. And that, Lord, you want to present them blameless. That you don't come at us with accusation, but you come at us, Lord, to say, I want to see all of you, all of you, blameless in my sight. Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he bore our sins. He took upon us himself our iniquity. Thank you, Lord, that not by our own doing, our own right living or right anything have we been made perfect, but only by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, we know that you're faithful. You could do no other. You never give up on us. It's not in you to do it. And so thank you, Lord, that in all of these things, we know that you continue to pursue us with a faithful and passionate and incredible love. And so, God, today as we go through your word, let your word go through us. Let us see you as you are. God, let us see ourselves as you see us. And, God, let us be the people of God that we're called to be. We pray this in your powerful and precious name. Amen. I want to talk a bit about these verses. First of all, be very encouraged, because how many people know the shortest verse in the Bible? Right? What is it? Jesus wept, right? The story of Lazarus. They bring Jesus to the tomb of his friend, someone he loved dearly. And there, even though he knew that God had the power to raise him up, he could feel the emotion, a loss of his dear friend. And it says that he wept. And that the people there who saw him weeping, maybe they viewed him as this great teacher, a miracle worker, but suddenly they saw the humanity of Jesus. Hey, he, he, really, he really loved Lazarus. Jesus wept. Powerful two words. Well, in these verses I read to you, Todd read earlier even, they have these two and three word verses. So of like the four shortest verses in the Bible, we're getting like three out of four here. And so those of you with limited mental capacity to remember things, you can remember these verses. You can remember these very short, simple, profound verses, like verse 16, which is tied for the first shortest verse of the Bible. It says what? Rejoice always. How many people have that memorized already? 
Well done. What's the second one? Verse 17, it says this. Pray continually. Now, the new NIV kind of shortened that because it used to be pray without ceasing. And that's three whole words. But this is just pray continually. It's like efficiency in English language. And the third one, give thanks in all circumstances. That's a bit harder, I know. But with the right amount of time and effort, you could remember that one too. These verbs, these descriptions of these verses, first you need to know they're plural. All the verbs are plural. And so these verses are, are, certainly we apply them to our personal life, that we would be people of prayer individually, that we would be rejoicing people just on our own. But Paul is describing to them what he wants the gathered church to look like. Yeah, he, he wants these things to be the hallmarks, the personality of the church when it comes together. Now, of course, all these things should spill into our personal lives, and so it's absolutely applicable to both things. But I think most people, when they read these, they don't think in terms of what should church be like? What should it be like when we get together on a Sunday or at a small group or at a prayer meeting? You kind of personalize these. We do that mostly with the Bible. We tend to do our own personal devotions with all the verses, but so much of it is meant to describe the divine community which Jesus called to himself by his own blood. That the Holy Spirit would be birthed in us, new birth. We'd be born into a body, a community, a family, brothers and sisters. With Jesus, our older brother, and God, our Father. These are corporate things. Because as the verses go on, you'll see certain things help us see that. Prophesying is public. People would stand up and they would bring the voice of God to the people of God. That was a public event. It happens individually and personally. It should we're a prophetic people. We speak the voice of God to one another. First Peter says, if anyone speaks, let him speak as if he uses the very what? Words of God. This whole idea of later, it says, greet each other with a holy kiss. Very rarely do we kiss individually. That's a team sport. These things are meant to be corporate. And so I want to just us to look at through that lens of what it means to be public in these things. Because our public worship, what we do here when we're together or when there's more than one person gathered together, that is a vital to the life of the church. That we don't live our Christian lives individually, we live our Christian lives corporately. And that our identity as who we are as children of God is not an individual identity, that we have a corporate identity together. And so that our rejoicing is understood to be together. Our prayer is understood to be together. Our gratitude is meant to be, and our welcoming of the voice of God is meant to be together. And those are the four things that Paul writes to the Thessalonians in terms of their corporate worship. Number one, rejoice always. Number two, Pray continually. That's that two-word verse. You got it. Number three, give thanks in all circumstances. And number four, don't treat prophecy with contempt. Don't quench the spirit. And I'm going to do a whole other week on that one. But that idea is that you welcome the voice of God in your life. As we prophesy to one another, as we understand the prophetic word of God, our scriptures, 
that we become a people that welcome, we desire, we, we invite the voice of God into our lives. And so let me just kind of take us through a couple of these together. The first one is this. Pray, or excuse me, rejoice always. Rejoice always. How many of you are rejoicing always? Now listen, there's a real danger here for us to make this a religious thing. Oh, I'm rejoicing, I'm rejoicing. When in fact, your heart is not rejoicing. Right? The hypocrisy of some people, our temptation to say, oh, I want to I rejoice always because the Bible says rejoice always. But in fact, our hearts can be quite sad and unhappy. And so how do we deal with a scripture that says we're to be happy all the time? We're always to be rejoicing, rejoicing, rejoicing. And I think we have to understand it, not in terms of always being happy. Is there anybody here who's always happy? I think I might have met someone this week who's always happy. She works at Target. And I was, I was walking down the aisle. I was looking for something. I wasn't particularly happy at the moment. I had been doing yard work all day. And I was very tired when I started. And it took like an hour longer than I wanted it to. So by the time I got done, I'm like, I am done with this. And then I had to go run to Target. And so I was going. And I, as I, she was like taking boxes apart. And she's like smiling. She, I think she might have been singing. She took, and I was like, that is one happy Target worker. And then I couldn't find what I was looking for. So I'm like, well, I'm going to go find the happy Target worker because she's probably going to be really happy. She'll be so excited to help me. So I went to her and I said, hey, I'm looking for this thing. Oh, I'll find And she was so happy. I don't know if she just got a raise or a promote. I don't know. But she was a generally happy person, right? Now, I, I've also met people recently that are generally unhappy people. I won't go into them because you'll think I might be talking about someone you know. But there are people with happy dispositions and sad dispositions. Rejoice always does not deal with those dispositions. The idea of rejoicing always is something that is more a function of focus. Hear me on this. What you set your mind on, what you set your heart on, is a powerful and profound thing in your life right? Because we all know there are so many things in our life that are not joy-worthy. They're not happy things. They're darn right painful, awful things. And all of our, life has, all of our lives have more than our fair share of those things. We feel like, man, life can be so hard sometimes, and it's frustrating sometimes, and I need to rejoice. When it says rejoice always, particularly as we come together, but always in our lives, it's a matter of focus, and so what you set your mind on, what you set your heart on, will determine whether or not you can live rejoicing always. And so, for instance, if you have your mind set regularly and all the time on all the hard things in life, it's going to be very hard to stay joyful. If you have your mind set on even the good things in life, like, for instance, God's provision. Some of you have jobs, or maybe you've got a job, or you just say, thank you, Lord. I'm so thankful for provision. You can rejoice in that. Lord, I thank you for my good health and be able to, you know, function. And I, Lord, I, I'm rejoicing in that. I thank you for my family, for my loved ones, for my friendships, for, for the good things in my life. I'm rejoicing in that. Count your blessings. Count them one by one, right? And you're doing that whole thing, and you're looking at the good things in your life, and it's bringing you joy. And I think that's more effective than always looking at the crummy things in life or in the world. Like, 
politics, or, right? There's so many things, if you look at it, you just can't help but just get frustrated and angry. So that's not good. So you look at the good things in your life, and that brings some joy. But we all know that all of those categories are not always joy givers. Sometimes we have the provision that we've been counting on stops. We lose a job, or we don't get the pay rise, or bills go up, and suddenly we got the pressure. We don't have enough anymore. We're like, oh, God, where's my provision? Or, or sometimes you have your health, and you've been doing great, and then suddenly you hit 50, and it takes you 20 minutes to get your body going in the morning, right? And you can't do basic things like bend over and pick things up like you used to. I always wondered why people bought those little grabbers with the hand thing. It's perfectly clear to me now. There's a market for that in the over 50 crowd. But your health starts to slip. Or maybe those relationships that brought you such joy, man, now they're bringing you intense pain. And, and you're in this place like, where's my joy? How am I supposed to rejoice always? Because this was a category that was supposed to make me happy. I know these things weren't supposed to make me happy. That's out there. But these things, this is my own kitchen. Count your blessings. Be thankful for all God's good provisions. But the reality is, even sometimes the things we think are supposed to make us happy and bring us joy do not. And so I go back to the point. Rejoicing always is a matter of focus. I love how kind of the parallel passage to this in Philippians says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. So your focus, where you find your joy, where your frame of reference for joy is, makes all the difference in the world. Paul says, hey, you know what? I've learned to be content in every circumstance, whether I have a lot or a little. I'm in pain. I'm not in pain. Whether I'm persecuted, whether I'm received well, it doesn't matter. Because all those categories are something else. I have a frame of reference that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That is my frame of reference. It's my focus. And in that way, he says, rejoice always. And you see it through the book of Philippians. Like, hey, I'm in jail. Rejoice with me. Great, I got persecuted the other day. I got, I got you know, hit with rods and stones. Rejoice with me. Hey, I don't know if I'm going to live or if I'm going to die, but you know what? Rejoice with me. And I always came back to this one thing, that God is in control, that his church is being looked after by the Holy Spirit, and that the mission of God will not fail. And so whatever our categories are, all the troubles we know of, or the things that are supposed to make us happy, they will fail. But if our frame of reference is that Jesus himself, God on high, came down, he loved me, he died for me, he rose again, and he promises me new birth and an eternal home, and the walk with him on earth, the presence and the power of God by the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that I can find perpetual, continual rejoicing as I set my eyes and as I set my heart on those things. That the gospel itself is sufficient to bring us joy in every circumstance. Even when our life situations fail to do so. Isn't that amazing? But some of us, we go through life on this joy rejoicing roller coaster because when things are good, we're rejoicing. When things are bad, you're miserable. And that is not the testimony of God's blood-bought church. That is not who we're supposed to be. 
The greatest of testimonies come through persecution and hard times when you're going through things that would normally crush someone and you find that person rejoicing. That Paul and Silas, after being beaten and put in prison, they're found singing and worshiping in prison. And God can't help himself but to shake the place and let them out. And even though they don't run for freedom and safety, they go to the jailer and say, don't kill yourself. Let me tell you about Jesus, the source of our joy. The unshakable blessings of God in our lives. Rejoice always. Rejoice always. You may have to shift your reference point. It's so easy to place your attention and your desires on the things of the world. But if your hope is anchored here, you will sink in the storm. But if your hope is anchored there, and listen, divine community of God, redeemed of the Lord, right here at Living Word Church, this is meant to be this window into heaven. That the kingdom of God that we know, that we feel and we experience in part now and and, and in its entirety, when Christ returns, we have access to the realities of heaven now. And so you can anchor your hope. You can anchor your joy in heaven. For we are citizens there. And so you may have to shift the place where you've rooted your heart, where you've set your focus. If you don't get what you want, rejoice. Your name's written in the book. You're citizens of heaven. If you're going through hard times, rejoice. Ruth came up and gave a testimony about losing her husband a couple years back. And I remember sitting with Ev. I have a long history with Ev. He was my high school physics teacher. And you just see the human body wasting away. And yet in him, he was so anchored in heaven, you find his spirit being renewed in joy and delight and in the things of God. We all hope that if tragedy or sickness or anything befalls us, we'd be able to live for the glory of God. You never know until you get there. You never know until you get there. But I say to you now, the biblical thing is that we as a community are anchored in heaven. Psalm 13, 5, it says this, But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I'll end that section with Psalm 22. You remember the psalm when David says, uh, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. David went through so many things. He was a king. He had all kinds of troubles. Much of it he brought upon himself. A lot of it was just dealing with the world that he was in. But he, he says to himself, I was glad. My heart rejoiced when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord. And I want to say this. Sometimes we come to the house of the Lord thinking that the house of the Lord is supposed to provide our joy and fix our problems. That we walk in the doors and we evaluate the music or the preaching or the, whether somebody said hi to me, and that tends to be the thermometer of whether or not you rejoice. David said, no, the very thought of the house of the Lord reminds me of my place in God's sight. He would come to the house of the Lord with rejoicing already in his heart. He showed up to church ready to dance. 
His heart was here, prepared to raise its hands. There was a song in his heart before the music started playing. Have you ever met someone that they come into church and the first thing or the whatever before service isn't to go just talk and chat, but they just take a minute and they set their heart and mind on the Lord and they prepare their heart. They reach to heaven for joy to come into their heart so that the worship they offer to the Lord is ready. It's full and they can rejoice in him. They've done the hard work of taking their eyes off the world, taking their eyes off their disappointments, and setting their eyes on Jesus, who's seated in heavenly places, and we with him. And when we gather together, there's already a joy bursting and ready and prepared, like one of those horses at the Kentucky Derby waiting for the bell to ring. Would you please start the music? I'm ready to go. Woo! I think I just blew a speaker. Forgive me. But there's a preparedness in their heart. Why? Because they're rooted in something that's not on this earth. And you'll, you'll allow me, I say, shame on you for not being ready for church. You think church should do something for you. Shame on you. That's not what this community is. There's plenty here for everyone. The Lord offers you a feast in his presence. But you come here with your heart ready to go. And the Lord will meet you in new ways. I went to church, I didn't get anything out of it. You know what? Because you didn't put anything into it. Come ready. Come rejoicing. Even if your heart's heavy, offer your heart to the Lord. Be prepared. I was glad when they said to me, let's get, let's get church started. Second thing he says is this. Pray continually. Pray continually or without ceasing. I'm reminded when Paul says this of a story Jesus told, a parable he told about a widow. Now, when the story starts out, there was a widow. We know Jesus is talking about a powerless person. When the story of the parable starts out, there was a king who is a very powerful person. And so in the parables, the characters that Jesus chooses to be the, kind of the focus demonstrates kind of where he's going with it. So there was a widow. There was someone who did not have the power or the ability to change her circumstances. And she, I'll read the story, turning your Bible to Luke 18. Then Jesus told his, his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with this plea, grant me justice. Grant me justice against my adversary. And for some time, he refused. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God and I don't care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Nothing worse than a widow on the attack. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? I find that very, very, very challenging. Will he find faith on earth? And he's equating it with prayer. 
He says, if you're not praying, you're not trusting. If you're not praying to God, you're trusting something else. If you're not like the widow, continually pursuing, 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 praying and not giving up, then you must be putting your trust in something else, either yourself or the system or money or some people. He equates prayer with trust. Listen, prayer is something that we need to come to terms with as a community. Before I left, I asked some of you to text me. I put my number on the wall. Text me if you feel just this calling and burden to pray. And several, many of you did. And while I've been away, a group of people have been kind of putting together a plan and seeking the Lord. We're going to find a new space for prayer in the church. Amen? But it isn't just for those who are predisposed to want to pray. These verses here are talking to the whole congregation to say, look, pray continually. Do not give up. Continue to press in. And it's not talking about our individual prayer lives, although it's valid to say pray continually in your personal prayer life. When you go into your closet, Jesus says, when no one else knows, and you get on your knees, and you begin to call out to God and lay your heart out before the Lord, and you just say, Lord, I'm, I'm checking in. I need you. Lord, you see these things in my life. You know where I'm at. You, you know I'm a poor widow. I'm, a, I'm weak. I can't change these things. But Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm just laying myself before you. I trust you. So come, do your thing. Do your thing in my life, Lord. Do your thing in my family, my friends, all these things, my church. That's right to do. But here, Paul is saying, church, family, divine community, pray and don't give up. Pray like you believe it matters. Not just those who want to or are predisposed to do it, those who have time for it. No, the church must pray. The church must pray. Or maybe we just don't trust him. Maybe we don't believe him. I find it interesting that the context of this, prayer is always done in the context of injustice. There's wrong things going on in the world. And prayer sets out to make it right because we know God can. It's always done in the context of injustice, and it's always done in the context of our weakness. She was a poor widow. She couldn't change it on her own. She needed to seek and press and continue to go for it. Isn't that provoking? Of all the things that you gripe about or you complain about or feel like if I were king, I would do it this way. Listen, you may not be king, but you know the king. Come before him. Gather together. Let's be a church of prayer. And let it not be just the 12 people who love prayer. Let's say, no, I'm, we'll make this a discipline. Let's make this a part of my, our Christian community is that we are people that trust God for all things and we gather and we show up and we pray. It doesn't matter if you're good at it or bad at it. If you, if you just show up, Cal Ripken's in the, he's like got this, the best award ever, consecutive games. He's a good baseball player, but what's he known for? Showed up every day. I love that. I'm like, well, he may, I may not be the best, but I'm going to show up. I might not be the best pastor you'll ever have, but I'm going to show up. Show up. Each congregation should take on the responsibility for serious intercession. 
during Sunday morning meetings, as well as gathering at other times to pray for the mission and the well-being of the church. I love how Jesus speaks in Matthew 18 as well. You can turn to it, Matthew 18, 18. He says this, and I want to tell you this because I want you to know prayer is powerful. It is powerful. Any thought you've had in your mind, I've prayed and nothing's happened, or I pray and I fall asleep, or I pray and my mind wanders. Listen, fine. Those are things we deal with. You set that aside and we believe the word of God that prayer is powerful. If you don't believe it, listen to what Jesus said about prayer. Matthew 18, 18. Truly, Jesus says, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. What's he saying? He is saying this, that if you pray and if you take hold of God's heart in these things, as you pray them on earth, heaven will accomplish them. It won't be done with earthly power. It won't be done with your fine talk and all your strategy, everything else. Prayer unleashes heaven's power on earth. It loosens it. Prayer is powerful. I'll continue. Verse 19. Again, I truly tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done by your Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with you. No wonder Jesus said, hey, will I find faith on earth when I return? Will people be praying? Because if we believe that Jesus saying these things, that heaven will be loosed on earth, that prayer is powerful, that even as you gather, Jesus says, I am with you, I am there, I am for you, I'm not against you. Prayer is a participation sport. Do it together and I'll do it with you. It doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be loud. You don't need a lot of words. As a matter of fact, Jesus criticized people with a lot of words. He called it babbling. 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 Prayer is a sincere trust that as we go before God, he hears us and he answers our prayers. Let me say this to you. I'm not going to get to my other two points. We'll do that another time. If you want a heart for God, if you thought to yourself, I, I'm just not where I need to be with the Lord. I mean, I, I'm, I'm showing up. I want to, I'm going to church. I'm trying to do the right stuff. But I'm just not, my heart's not on fire for the Lord. I'm not excited about my relationship with Jesus. I don't, I don't want to walk away, but I'm just not there. Listen, you want to develop a heart for God? Begin quieting yourself before the Lord. Begin meeting up with someone or gathering and, and expressing a hunger for him. If you seek him, you'll find him. If you seek him with all of your heart. I think so many of us, just we, we're satisfied with this very, very shallow, unfulfilling Christianity because we haven't sought the Lord with all of our hearts. A hunger, a driving hunger to say, Lord, I just need you more. Lord, I want more. I, I'm, I'm offering myself. How about that? How about offering yourself afresh to God in prayer? 
saying, Lord, I, I just desire more. And then let the cumulative effect of you laying your heart before the Lord, of you, you spending time with him, of you being with brothers and sisters who are likewise just pressing into God a bit more. You let the cumulative effect of you desiring more of God, of having a hunger for God, of offering yourself to God, and then God's promises of saying, look, if you seek me, you'll find me. I promise you. I will not deny you. I am not far from you. Find a revival in this. Pray without ceasing. Take on a new attitude. Take on a new attitude. You know what? I think I trust in everything else but the Lord. I think my prayer life demonstrates that. And so my new attitude is I'm going to trust the Lord for everything. I'm going to, I'm going to practice the presence, as the old monastic people used to say. That everywhere I go and whatever I do, it's like I'm just, Jesus is with me, I'm doing it. I turn on the radio. Hey, Lord, you like this song? Oh, not so much? Yeah. It's got a good beat, though. Yeah, okay. Change it. Because the Lord's with me. He's, I'm practicing that. The Lord's, Lord, I'm having a crummy day. He's like, ah, I know. Let me just surrender my heart to you afresh. Change my frame of reference. I want to be rejoicing today. Take my eyes and my heart off these things. Let me put my trust and my joy in your salvation again. You know, those of us who have been saved from, and also I'll say it, a crappy way of living, those of us who have been saved from living pretty hollow, shallow lives, those of us who know the difference between what it means to live for yourself or live to try to scrape together an existence versus what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God, those of us who know the difference, it's not hard to find rejoicing in the Lord. It takes me about five seconds, no matter what's going on, if I actually turn my mind to, Lord, I I know how my life was lived. I remember that. And I know now what I have in you. My my heart just picks up again, whatever it is. And I bring that into my prayer. I bring that into my relationship. I give thanks. Next time I get a chance to preach, I'm going to talk about what it means to give thanks in all circumstances and what it means to welcome the voice of God into our community and into our lives. For now, I'll close here. But I want to give you a chance to consider these things and to respond to these things. The whole idea of rejoicing always and changing your frame of reference to the difficult world or things that may or may not make me happy, to keeping your frame of reference on the joy of God's salvation, that Jesus is passionately in love with you and pursuing you and that there's hope in this life and in the life to come because of Christ and that the Holy Spirit is poured out to, to animate Christ in your life. You, may, you need to shift. That's a, that's a serious shift. It's not enough to say, oh, yeah, good, good point, Dave. Yeah, maybe I'm doing that. No, what needs to happen now is a shift to say, you know what? I am going to put my heart and my mind on things above. Jesus raised and seated in heavenly places. That's repentance. That's change. An attitude, a mindset, and some of the things you do and say. I also think in this whole area of prayer, you may need to repent and say, Lord, I've been, I've been living like I don't trust you at all because I pray like I don't trust you at all. They're few and far between, and the ones I pray, well, quite frankly, Lord, you know, they're kind of boring and forced. <laughs> and you say, I need to be released in a whole new faith to trust that when things are loosed on 
frayed on earth, they're loosed in heaven. And I, 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 Lord, I'm, I'm, I want to walk a new road when it comes to praying without ceasing. So I'm going to take a minute. I'm going to pray. But as I do that, I want you to just consider these things in your heart. And I want you to make the changes necessary. Because I believe that this church has great future in rejoicing. I believe this church has a great future in moving the power of God through prayer. As I do in gratitude and receiving God's voice in our life. But today it's just the first two. So will you stand with me? Will you open your heart to God? Will you do the change and repenting work that's necessary? Seriously, do, just be honest with the Lord. And say, yes, God, I want to change. If you need to do something, you want to come up front, I'll pray for you briefly. I'll do that. But what God's looking for is for you to say, I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus. And I'm going to trust the Lord. And I'm going to show my trust for him by praying. All right, go ahead and bow your head and just think about the Lord. Think about these things. Thank you, God. We love you, Lord. Glory to you, God. Thank you, Father. No one like you, Lord. Forgive us for taking you for granted. Forgive us for not rejoicing. Because you're worthy of being rejoiced over. God, loose our heart from the love of things, comparing ourselves with others. Loose our heart from just being gripped by the troubles and the worries of this earth. Set our mind above, Lord. Help us lift our gaze. Call our names. Gain our attention. Help us, God. Not to try to muscle up joy or always just try to be optimistic or take the best way of thinking about things. No, help us to see our salvation afresh. God, help us to, to recognize and understand that there'd be this, you'd open our eyes to see the glorious things you've done on our behalf. Restore unto us the joy of our salvation. Set a right heart, a right spirit within us, God. Let the bones that have been crushed by sin and by the consequences of sin, let those bones rejoice again. Lord, bring life and fullness. Help us, God. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. God, help us to know your nearness, to experience your nearness, to enjoy your nearness. Lord, baptize us afresh in the Holy Spirit. Lord, we need the presence and the power of heaven. We open our hearts to the Spirit again. Pour out your Spirit upon us, Lord. Too much earth, more heaven in us, Lord. Too much earth. (laughs) We're not made. We're not made for sin. We're made for righteousness and joy in the Holy Ghost. Sanctify us through and through, Lord. Come, put your hands on us. Leave none of us, none of us untouched. Father, we just pray that you would breathe upon us. Lord, just a, an unction and a hunger for more of you. 
God, let, let prayer echo throughout the church. Lord, in this room, in the assembly, let prayer echo throughout our homes as we just gather people together and corporately call upon you. God, let, let, us, let us breathe in the, the fresh air of heaven. Let us cry out to you, Lord God. Let us experience what it means to trust you, to loose things and to bind things. God, let us know that as we're gathering, you're there with us. It isn't a religious ritual. No, Lord, it's a, it's a party with friends calling on you to come and have your way, to bring justice. Lord, we, we're, we're too weak to fix everything. We're, we're too feeble, God, to make things right in our own strength. Lord, we, we're committed to doing what we can, but we know it's more than that is necessary. So stir our hearts to trust you. Stir our hearts, God. Clear our calendars. Open our minds. Bring us together. Lord, let the breath of heaven breathe into these hallways, into these rooms. God, we ask you, let joy be a delight, or prayer be a delight. Let it not be a burden. Lord, bring a sense of urgency. Bring a sense of just hunger for more of you. Let Living Word Church begin a new season of prayer, we pray. Come upon us, Lord. Lord, I know those who want to pray. Thank you for them. But Lord, what about those who don't want to pray? It'd be like pulling teeth to get them to come. You have to trick them into a prayer meeting. Lord, let all of us be captured with prayer, with a fresh expression of trust. Lord, I thank you for this wonderful place that I call home, that's my family. I pray that you would sanctify us all through and through our body, our soul, our spirit. Lord, present us blameless in the blood of Jesus before you. And God, in your faithfulness, come and do these things that you call in Scripture. Come and do them and more, we pray. In the precious name of Jesus, and together we say, amen. Praise the Lord. Let's just give the Lord some thanksgiving. All right, one last thing before we're dismissed. Um, next week is August 5th, correct? I just got off an air. Is, is it August 5th next week? It is. It is. So Issa's father and mother will be in church next week. Yeah, I know. It's going to be great. What's that? <laughs> Has everyone seen uh, Michelle Vanestek? Stand up, Michelle, and say hi to everybody. We call her Moosh years ago. Yep. She was a missionary sent out from here. She's been all over the world serving the Lord. She's in Spain and back visiting with us. Say hi and give her 100 bucks before she goes. Um, but Edgar, he'll be preaching. We got our breakfast, of course, before service. And then Edgar's coming in. Remember the breakfast? Come for breakfast. Stay for Jesus. Um, so come here in expectancy with joy and passion in your heart to rejoice and delight in God and to hear a great message from uh, Issa's dad. All right? Praise God. Be dismissed. Have a great week, guys. God bless.